every now and again, we need a little something to make us smile. If you didn't know, today is the birthday of the church, and uh, it's Pentecost Sunday. And uh, about 2,000 years ago, there was the birth of the church, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and it's always good. So you ever been to a birthday and it's like a bad thing? Usually it's always good. It's a place you go and you smile, and I like to smile. I have a good friend named Avalon who helps me smile. And she came to me the other day. She says, you know, uh, she asked me this question that, hey, pastor, what, what beverage is deadly for balloons? I said, I don't know. She said, pop. So I'm thankful for, for a little smile every now and again. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. Someone say the promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, He, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. But you, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, not too much longer from now. In verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost, someone say the Holy Ghost, has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. I want just to talk to you for the next few moments about the promise and the problem of Pentecost. The promise and the problem of Pentecost. Jesus, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for your spirit. I'm so thankful for your presence here today. And I pray these next few moments, God, that we don't plow through them and move on. But Jesus, there's been a witness of your spirit here today. You have already spoken to us. And Jesus, I pray, God, that we are not so quick to exit your presence. But I pray we would entertain your presence, Lord, with our attention and with our mouth, with worship and praise and adoration and sensitivity and yielding to you. And someone say in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to someone, tell them the, problem, the promise and the problem of Pentecost. Amen. Just to be very basic, very elementary, because I have learned not to assume that everybody knows or everybody's on the same page. But the context of what we are reading here is just after Jesus rose from the dead. So I mentioned a moment ago that today is the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish celebration that you read about going all the way back to the Old Testament in the day of Moses and the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And if you could recall the story of Moses, there was a, uh, a host of the children of Israel, estimated anywhere from one to three million, that are slaves. No one knows exactly, but 
from the the census that is recorded, it is safely estimated somewhere in that figure that many people were slaves to the Egyptians. And God wanted to set the children of Israel free after they begin to cry out to him. And so they sent, God sent Moses and uh, God began to work miracles, signs and wonders. It was 10 plagues. And finally, after the 10th plague that God uh, moved upon Pharaoh to release all the Israelites out of Egypt. And that last plague, that last day, there was a celebration that God enacted and said, you are to practice this from here on out. And it was called the Feast of Passover, the Passover lamb. And basically what would occur was that they had to find a spotless lamb for every home and people had to gather in that home. They had to slay this animal and they had to capture the blood of this lamb in a basin and the blood of the lamb in the basin. They would get a branch and they would dip that branch like a paintbrush into that bowl and they would go to the door of their home and the three posts of their door, they would po uh, post blood on it. And the Bible says that evening, God warned the entire nation of Israel and the entire nation of Egypt that a death angel was going to pass through the land. And if you did not have the blood of the lamb on your home, on your doorpost, and if you did not stay in the blood of the lamb in your home, that the firstborn of every home was going to die. And so they had this option. We will choose to believe and act on our faith of what we believe or we will not worry about it. And everyone that did not practice that, that did not participate, the firstborn child in their home died. But everyone that did participate, the death angel came and he passed over the home when he saw the blood of the lamb. It's very interesting, and I do not believe it coincident. I do not believe it accident that it is the precise moment in which Jesus Christ was crucified. If you read the opening of the New Testament, the ministry of John the Baptist, when he laid after he preached about Jesus, he saw Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was that perfect spotless lamb. The writer of Hebrews calls him the Passover lamb. And so this Jesus was crucified. The Jews were in a rush to finish off the execution of Jesus because they had to hurry and go into their home for the Sabbath and for the Passover feast. And so Jesus died at that, that moment. He was the Passover lamb. And now we read in the book of Acts, Jesus has arose from the dead on the third day and he talks to the apostles and to other believers for 40 days concerning the kingdom of God. That's 43 days, basically, from the Passover. And in seven days was the next feast. It was the next feast after what we called and what we just talked about called the Passover. And this was the Feast of Pentecost. It's where they would now celebrate the exiting out of Egypt. It's when they would celebrate their liberty, their freedom. It's what maybe we can call the Independence Day uh, in some regards, okay? And so this is what occurs every 50 days. And so the word is Pentecost. It literally just means 50th, 50 days after the Passover. And now Jesus here on this moment is, is talking to them concerning the kingdom of God. And he begins to give them some very specific instructions. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, listen, 
disciples. I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. You heard about it. In verse 5, he says, you know about water baptism, but there is a new baptism that's about to take place, and it is spirit baptism. So he tells them to go and to pray, and there was about 120 of them that went into an upper room and had a prayer meeting just waiting for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And as they were praying, waiting, not knowing exactly when it was going to happen, other than Jesus said, it's going to happen. It is a promise, and it's going to be soon. What would keep them in motion of prayer and continuing in prayer after the first day not getting it? After the second day, not getting the promise. After the third attempt, not getting the promise of the Father. After the fourth attempt, not getting the promise of the Father. After the fifth, after the sixth, after six days, the very thing that Jesus said, I promise you, you're going to get it very soon. They were not getting it, but they kept going after it. And this is the important thing that we must always realize Any promise that is presented, we must continue to pursue. It's always worth the pursuit of the promise because God is not a man that he should lie. God is faithful. And whatever he says is going to happen, it shall come to pass. And this is why it's important, whatever God promised you, gather as much information about the promise as you can. Because if you have the information, it will give you a a motivation to go after it, to pursue it. And Jesus, we get at least in Acts chapter 1, a glimpse of the promise. The promise in verse 8 says, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Recognize who he's talking to here. He's talking to the apostles. He's talking to those who are the 70 that went out two by two and they cast out literally demons. They literally saw the dead raised. They laid hands on the sick and saw them recover. They saw blind eyes open. They saw the lame leap. You read about it. It Long before Jesus ever was nailed to the cross and shed blood before the resurrection, the disciples saw power. The disciples were familiar with the power of the message of the kingdom of God. But Jesus says here, look, I know you have an idea of power and you've been used in power but I'm telling you not too far off from now you are going to receive another type of power unlike anything you've ever tapped in before if you've never received the promise of the Holy Ghost there's a good enough motivation to go after it because Jesus says I know you've experienced miracles signs and wonders and you have felt and tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but you just wait till you're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? He says this Holy Ghost is powerful. You've experienced power, but there is another power after you receive the Holy Ghost. There was nobody closer to Jesus on planet Earth than the apostles and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, and these, this inner crew. They've experienced 
power. They literally, Mary had demons come out of her. I believe it was seven or something along those lines. Devils come out of her. And yet she is now told by Jesus, there's more power coming if you would pursue the promise of the Holy Ghost. This sounds like a good promise. This sounds like something worth pursuing. It sounds like something worth going after. In verse 8, he goes on to say this power from the Holy Ghost. It's going to start here in Jerusalem, but it's going to give you power to present it to Judea. It's going to be so powerful that it's going to spread to Samaria. And it's going to be so powerful, it's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. The, basically, he's incrementally working away from all they know. And that is their tribal mentality. That this is for us only. This is for our race. This is a race thing. This is just for our inner group. But Jesus Christ tells them, look, the power I'm giving you is going to go beyond race. It's going to go beyond your little comfort zone that you're used to living in your tribal mentality. It's going to go outside of Jerusalem. It's going to go to Judea. I promise you it's going to go to Samaria. Now that starts rubbing them a little wrong because Samaria basically are family members that have compromised and went the complete opposite direction. Samaria represents the very people that persecuted the prophets, the preachers, the ministers of God. They literally slayed them and killed them and murdered them. And now Jesus is just kind of prodding them. He says, you're going to have this in Jerusalem, but it's also going to go to Samaria. And if that ain't enough, I'm going to even take it out of the half-breed. I'm going to take it out of that mixed race and go to a completely different race that you don't even fellowship with, that you don't even regard. It's going to go to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. This is the promise of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we read that on the day of Pentecost, that word 50, that Jewish celebration, if you've ever heard someone say, I'm Pentecostal, or that's a Pentecostal church. Literally what they just are, what they're alluding to is they believe that church that has the tag or the name Pentecost over it believes that what happened in Acts chapter 2 still happens today. That's what it means to be Pentecostal. And so what happens on the Feast of Pentecost, on the seventh day after they talked with Jesus? It says they were in that one place meeting together. And it's still good to meet together. I'm so thankful that we're able to congregate together in the house of God. I'm thankful that we've had media to be able to hear the word and experience the presence of God. But there's still nothing like coming in contact with the people of God where we get to experience the presence of God together. And it says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each and every one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the promise, remember? They are now filled with the promise on the day of Pentecost. And we know they received the promise on the day of Pentecost because it says they began to speak in other languages or in other tongues, new languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. If you've ever been in a church setting and you've heard somebody speak in funny words that you do not understand, the Bible lets us know it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that gives this ability. When the Spirit moves upon them, when they are filled with the Holy Ghost, now this new power, this new experience that's never been experienced before can begin to occur. Someone say the promise. 
Look, I, I, I know it may sound awkward to the world. It may sound awkward to us. And it may feel, make us feel a little uncomfortable. But realize the source of the person that gave the promise. The source is Jesus. And Jesus says it's from the very throne room of God. You don't have to be intimidated or fearful of Jesus Christ. And what comes from his very throne room into our lives. I. I want the promise. I don't want just the old power and old experiences that I had. I want that powerful experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you agree with that, would you clap your hands? It was a promise. This was not just a random occurrence that just appeared out of nowhere. God had foreordained it. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12, before Jesus ever stepped foot on this earth in the form of man, we read in, Act, or in Isaiah 28, 11, God spoke through the prophet and prophesied almost 500 years prior to this moment that we read about in the book of Acts. It says, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. That stammering lips, if you ever lived in South Dakota through a winter, you've had stammering lips at least one or two times and they almost probably fell off. When you go outside and you're like, your mouth is quivering and moving. That's what it's talking about. Stammering lips. God says, this is a sign that you are about to enter the rest. He says, stammering lips, you are about to receive the promise. You receive the promise when the other tongue comes forth, it says in verse 11. And it says that this is the way God will speak to his people. Does anyone want to hear God speak to you? Do you want God to talk to you? This is the way God chose. God said, I'm going to choose this way, this vehicle called language, the tongue, to be able to speak to my people. We were just in a setting a moment ago here as there was a, a young child that began to speak in tongues and lift up his voice unto God. And as he did that, all of a sudden there was a voice in our understanding that began to explain what was given in that language. That is God speaking to his people. And that message that was given was one of rest. It was one of edification. It was one to help the church. I'm telling you, this is not some storybook that we are reading here today. This is a real document. This is a documentary of the reality of the church of the living God. Someone say amen. And Jesus talked about it in Mark 16, 16 and 17. This is after Jesus died and rose from the dead. His parting words to the disciples said, believe and be baptized. You will be saved. But if you do not believe, you will be damned. But these signs will follow them that believe. We already know we believe and be baptized in water. But he says to believe. And he says, in my name, you'll cast out devils and you will speak with new tongues. Jesus reiterated what God spoke to through the prophet Isaiah, that with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. This is the sign of the rest. If they could put verse 12 up, I didn't read through that, but the Bible says that this is the rest where God causes the weary to rest. I don't know about you, but I look every direction right now and there's no rest. There is no peace on earth right now. There is no comfort on earth right now. It is literally 
spiraling out of control. This world is being shaken. The, every foundation, everything that was known as stable right now is unstable. Things are falling apart. People are not finding peace. People are not finding rest. But God said some 2,500 years ago that I am going to come in a day where people are weary and people need comfort and people need rest. And I'm going to do it through the vehicle of language. While every other word out of every other person's mouth is violence and hatred and racism and bigotry and prejudice. God says, I'm going to let something else flow out of the mouth. It's going to be a rest. It's going to be a joy. It's going to be a peace that surpasses all understanding. If you got the Holy Ghost and you're able to tap into the spirit for a moment, would you lift your voice? Would you begin to pray with that joy unspeakable and full of glory? Come on, church. This is the rest where God causes the weary to find some rest. And so the prophet gave the promise and Jesus gave the promise. And so we read on that day in the book of Acts chapter two, when they're all filled with the Holy Ghost in verse four, beginning to speak a new language, a new tongue. The Bible says there were spectators all around. And at that time, there was devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. They heard the loud noise. And you know, I know it may get loud in church sometimes, but it's just the birthday celebration we're having right now. And it's a loud church because we serve a God who is active and alive. Everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. What occurred, basically, you had all the Jews from surrounding nations visit Jerusalem. I've read all different types of reports. And no one really knows. Some people speculate the population of Jerusalem was as low as 20,000. And some people estimate it as high as uh, 1.2 million people. Uh, it's it's just guesses here and there. We could only kind of put pieces together of what people have estimated. But regardless if it's 20,000 or 1.2 million people that lived in Jerusalem, there was always an influx, a surge of population at this time. And this is not a perfect comparison, so don't use it as such. But it's just like, you know, certain cities have certain celebrations where the uh, people from all over the world go and travel to it, like Mardi Gras. But this is not Mardi Gras. Someone say Amen. All right, this is completely different, but that's the, 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 the idea is people from other states, other areas would congregate upon a place because it was a particular date, a particular celebration. So Jews from all over the countryside would come to Jerusalem and surge it. They would say estimating anywhere from 20,000 now would be 80,000 people in the city or 1.2 million people in the city to now over 2 million people in the city. But whatever it is, there was a surge of Jews from other nations that came into Jerusalem. And they're shocked because they, they, they hear in verse 6 people speaking their language from their country. And they, they're amazed and say, how can this be? These people that are speaking in tongues are from Galilee, but we hear them speak our native languages. Here we are. 
were Jews that are Parthians and Medes and Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood amazed. And that's just one point to realize when they're speaking in tongues, this is not some jibber jabber made up kind of thing. It is a God thing. It is a real thing. And so the people are standing there amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? But other people in the crowd begin to ridicule them, saying they're drunk. That's all. And on that day, when you finish this story, there's 3,000 people added to the church. Not just too far after, after, um, after that moment, a couple of chapters later, 5,000 people added to the church. What an amazing thing that can occur at any given moment in Watertown, South Dakota. I know we are a smaller congregation, but we are a growing congregation. We've, we've seen so many things happen, but it's mainly been incremental. But at any given moment, we have a promise that God can do the exponential. God can do the miraculous. We just got to realize the promise and keep pursuing it because the day is going to come. And just like that group in that upper room praying, they didn't know when they were going to get the promise of the Holy Ghost, but they prayed after they didn't get it the first time. They prayed after they didn't get it the second time. They prayed after they didn't get it the third time. They kept praying and kept praying. And then when they got it, they got it so good and it was so contagious that on that very birthday of the church. 3,000 people added to the church. I'm still believing that God is not only going to add to the church. God is going to multiply this church. I'm believing that there's going to be a Holy Ghost wind that goes over the prairies of South Dakota and all throughout every county. Every county needs a witness. Every county needs a Pentecostal church. Every county needs an on-fire, apostolic, powerful service of the Holy Ghost. I pray that we keep praying because we got a promise of Pentecost. Someone say hallelujah. But there's a problem. There's a problem as well. The problem is they're not fulfilling the promise. The promise in verse 8 of Acts 1 is this is not just for Jerusalem. This is for Samaria. And this is not just for Samaria. This is for the utmost part of the earth. This is for Gentiles. This is for everybody. But the ones that got the Holy Ghost were Jews. And they were not comfortable with other races. They were not comfortable going outside of tribal mentality. They were very uncomfortable. And you could say there is some justifiable reasons for it. You look at the history of the Jews in every other nation. It was constant conflict. It was constant war. There was slaughter. There was Jews that were literally slain, destroyed, raped, murdered, childs ripped out of women and dashed on stones. Horrific things have happened between races over the generations and millennia you read throughout the Bible. And so this is a very difficult thing for the Jews to grasp and comprehend that I can integrate and begin to cross the racial borders and the racial barriers and begin to embrace other people as my brother and sister. And so what we find is that the first four years of the church, there is no evidence of a non-Jew receiving the Holy Ghost. Four years. 
After 3,000 added to the church, after 5,000 added to the church, there is a racial barrier occurring in the birth of the church. But God, he began to use some circumstances to break the church out of its comfort zone. He began to work through someone named Saul who began to persecute the church. And the persecution was so strong, so vehement that the Jews began to spread outside of Jerusalem. And there were some Jews that found their way, one named Philip, an evangelist, that went to Samaria. And there wasn't much out there to preach to concerning purebred Jew. And so he says, I guess I'll just have to preach to the half-breed Jews, those that have kind of compromised and walked away from what we're accustomed to and know. But would you know what would happen? And when he overcame that fear barrier and that race barrier, all of a sudden, the love barrier brought a great joy into the entire city. The I'm telling you right now, if we, the church, can overcome, overcome the problem, we can see the benefit of the promise. And the promise is God said, I will not only have revival in what you're used to in your tribe, in your race, but I'll do outside of your race. I'll go outside of your tribe and I'll make sure there is a move of God for every soul. There was a powerful breakthrough that took place in Samaria. We don't know how many, but it is thousands estimated that were converted to Christianity. These people that were compromisers, backsliders, and there was bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews. But God gave a promise of Pentecost and he could heal bad blood in your family. He can heal compromise in your family. He can fix relationships from family that's been put apart and torn apart and shattered. It's the promise of Pentecost. I know there might be some bad things going on in your family right now, but the promise of Pentecost is God can bring a strange family back together. God can bring those that have been separated and compromised back together. And then it was nine years estimated until the gospel reached the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. The Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, you can read that on your own time. Acts chapter 10, you can read that on your own time. But nine years it took before the message is brought to the Gentiles to complete 100% non-Jews. And it took a lot of pushing from God to get Peter out of his comfort zone. And God told Peter, don't you dare call something unclean that I've called clean. Don't you dare speak something against a race. Don't you dare speak something negative against another race. He says, what I call clean, don't you dare call unclean. And so Peter obeys the Holy Ghost and he goes to where no Jew has gone before and begins to step step foot in a Gentile's house and begins to preach the gospel. And everyone under the sound of his voice in that roof was filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. But it took perilous times to push the church into the promise. And we are living right now in perilous times. 
You just, you just pull up your phone and you look up the news right now. You open up your social media, look at the news right now. There is such racial division, racial discrimination. There is such hatred. There is such chaos. There is such political divide, d- division right now where there is all these things that are going on. The world is reeling to and fro. This world is set on fire right now. There is a problem in Pentecost when we have a tribal mentality and keep it to ourselves, amongst ourselves, with what we're comfortable with. But God has a promise. God has a promise for the problem that is in this world. And God has brought perilous times to this nation right now to let the church go forth and bring the promise to a world that is in peril. I feel such a burden on my spirit right now. Our world is in peril. And you have a promise. Don't keep the promise of Pentecost to yourself. You got a promise that can heal a racial barrier. You got the promise that can heal every divide and every chasm that is in this world right now. I wonder if there's a spirit-filled Pentecostal in this room right now that would lift their hands and would lift their voice and say, God, I don't want to have the problem of Pentecost. I want to share the promise of Pentecost. I want to go to every sin stained soul with a problem and bring them the redeemed blood of the lamb with the promise of Pentecost. Hallelujah. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? I'm just about done. I don't know. I've been preaching some 30, 40 minutes, but I'm going to hurry up here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 15, we keep reading. The people making fun of those that are filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Peter corrects them and says, look, these are not drunk as you suppose. They thought they were wasted. But he says, look, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. These speaking in tongue people, these people speaking a new language, he says, is a promise, a prophecy from Joel in the Old Testament over 400 years ago. And here's what Joel said, that prophet, that preacher of old. It will come to pass in the last days. Someone say the last days. In the last days before God comes back. I will. I will. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Not light flesh, not dark flesh, all flesh. All flesh will receive the promise of what God spoke through that preacher. And he says, it's going to be for your sons. It's going to be for your daughters. You're going to see your, this is the best promise you can have. If you are a daddy, if you're a mother, if you're a grandparent, this should be the promise you want every grandkid of yours to have. This should be the promise of every child of yours to have the promise of the Holy Ghost. Our world is so falling apart. They need power in a world that's falling apart. And if you would raise your children correctly, you'll have the power of the promise to handle the problem of the world. This world is waxing cold. This world is falling apart. But we got a promise that can make it through every problem. And he says this. You're going to see your children used in a ways that you may have never been used. They'll be used in prophecy. They'll be used in visions. It's going to be an amazing thing. But see, don't stop it off there. 
Verse 18, he says, my servants, my handmaidens, I'm going to pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's not just going to be for the upper crust. It's going to be for those that are licking the bottom of the barrel. It's going to be for every segment of society, the promise of Pentecost. But the problem of Pentecost is they kept it to themselves. And it took perilous times to get the promise out to the problem. But the real problem was in the church. I'm not saying at all, I don't believe this at all, that there is any racism in this church at all. But I know in Watertown, I've seen racism. I've been against around prejudice. I've been against that narrow-mindedness. But we as the church, we embody the promise. We cannot embody the problem. The promise we have has to be greater than the problem this world has. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. I will not back down and be afraid of the spirit of this world. I've got a promise that is greater. I got a promise that is more powerful. I am determined to break through the prince of the power of the air and declare the promise of Pentecost. If you're with me, would you clap your hands? Three more portions of scripture. I'm wrapping it up. Galatians 3.27. We know John 3.5 that we need to be born of water and spirit. And when we are born of water, when we're baptized in Jesus' name, we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. But listen, verse 28, when you got baptized in Jesus' name, it is not about I'm this race or that race. It's not about I'm a slave or I'm free. It's not about I'm a guy or I'm a girl. We are all one in Christ. When you got baptized in Jesus' name, racism stays under the water. When you got baptized in Jesus' name, every sin stays under the water. Don't let it come out of the water. You keep it under the water. You keep it under the blood and let the promise go forth in this day. But not only, not only is the promise in that baptism in Jesus' name. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, as the body is one and has many members, and the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. There's not a separate Holy Ghost for natives. There's not a separate Holy Ghost for Hispanics. There's not a separate Holy Ghost for African-Americans. There's not a separate Holy Ghost for Caucasian. It is one spirit that fills every single human being. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, we have the answer. We have the, prob- the, the promise of Pentecost. But the problem of Pentecost is if we just hide and keep it to ourselves, we got to go out. I wasn't sure what direction we would go here today in this atmosphere, if it would be to see people filled with the Holy Ghost. 
or if God was going to speak to those filled with the Holy Ghost. And I, I feel direction, as you probably have caught it by now, to speak to those filled with the Holy Ghost. We are in perilous times. This world is crazy. And a world full of problems needs a church filled with promise. I want to do the work of an evangelist. It's, I, I, you know, I, I've said this however many times over the past year. I haven't watched news, read news, or nothing for over a year until this whole COVID thing happened a couple of months ago. And I, I hate reading the news. Can't stand it. And it was one thing to read the COVID-19 thing. And I'm not a preacher that's a knee-jerk reaction preacher. I'm not going to preach to every headline that surfaces. But I'm telling you, there is an out-of-control, dark, wicked spirit in our world right now. And it's, it's racism's there. But it even stems beyond that. There's just hate. Evil. People are operating under the influence of another spirit. When you can attack somebody and beat them to a bloody pulp and leave them on the floor and walk off. I, I, all these videos and all these headlines I've seen, it's just, it's insane. And it's not just one area of the country. It is across the country. It's going on in North Dakota right now in Fargo. It's everywhere. And there's various purposes and reasons right now. But it's all the same driving spirit of sin and hate. And sin is destructive. And sin, this may sound uh, like an oxymoron, but sin is not racist. Sin treats everybody the same. doesn't matter if you're black, white, whatever color. Sin hates you and sin will kill you. Sin treats every soul the same. He, the soul that sinneth, shall surely die. But we have a promise to defeat the problem. They, they can do everything they want on the, and I hope our government does everything it can to try to bring healing and stability. It says to pray for our governments. It says to do that. Don't, don't attack the government. Pray for your government. We need peace. It's, that's the whole purpose is pray so we can leave, live peaceable and quiet lives right now. But we're not living peaceable and quiet lives right now. So we need to pray for the government. We need to pray for our officials. They're fallen human beings. They're sinners that need grace. And if a church is not praying for them, what hope do they even have? There's got to be a church that is praying for every authority and figure. No matter how much you may disagree with them, and no matter how much wrong you may think they have done to you, they need your prayer. Because the problem of Pentecost is to be mad at a certain segment of society and keep Pentecost yourself. And it takes four years or nine years till perilous times push the church outside of itself to reach those with the problem. Man, there's such a burden in my heart right now. I wonder if you could lift your hands where you're at. And you can ask God to use you to bring the promise of Pentecost 
to those without Pentecost that have a problem. Would you lift your voices, church? Come on, a world full of problems needs a church filled with the promise. Would you begin to pray, God, use me in this perilous hour. God, help me to get out of my comfort zone. Help me to get outside of my cultural cultural boundaries and barriers. God, help us as the church to move beyond the walls. God, help us to do the work of an evangelist. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to love those, Lord, that have mistreated us. Help us, God, because if the church doesn't love them, what hope do they have? Help us, God, as a people to lift our voices and to weep, God. Help us to be touched with the feelings of other people's infirmities right now, God. Lord, this world is reeling to and fro. Everything that can be shaken has been shaken. Help us as a church to counteract it, God. Help us, Lord, to bring stability. This is the rest where we can cause the weary to rest.